0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Pekor. This is episode 27, recorded on August 6, 2021. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? need to get email at yourdomain.com they provide professional feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10 percent with promo code evrevshow all right and thanks for tuning in to this edition of the ev revolution show audio podcast as you heard my name is kenneth record your host always a pleasure to have listeners and have you uh Tune in. I have got another special guest today. And as you folks know, I always find smart people and smart companies that are out there that are moving and shaking uh, the EV landscape as we know it. And lo and behold, I found another organization you probably, probably may not have heard of. They are called Free Wire, And they are based in the U.S. And I've got their CEO, who I'll introduce in a sec. They are a company that enables um, very scalable deployment of ultra-fast electric vehicle charging. And their their main differentiator is that they do this at a fraction of the time and and the cost that it would take for conventional charging stations. And we know, folks, uh, especially my my loyal listeners, that one of the barriers to adoption that we hear a lot of is uh, our consumers' concerns about lack of charging infrastructure. So it's a pleasure for me to... to introduce FreeWire CEO Arkady Sosanoff. How are you, sir?
1: I'm good, and I'm really pleased to be here. Um, I've listened for ages now, and and have heard your voice, and now it's great to finally be able to talk to you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Yes, and he's disappointed because the voice may sound better than than what's uh, what's on camera, but that's all. No, it's all good. I just joke. It's all good. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. I try again. I try to have you know uh, very uh, very good conversations on the podcast, and there's a lot of people that are doing things within this industry that I think is important. So I appreciate your time out of your busy schedule to, to stay with me and to talk a little bit more about what you guys do and what you're seeing in the marketplace. Now, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about where you guys are based um, and kind of you know how you, how you started up and where you are today.
1: We're based in the San Francisco Bay Area and FreeWire is a company that I founded seven years ago in 2014. And we're focused on uniquely on ultra fast charging infrastructure. Um, ultra fast, when I say that, I mean really 150 kilowatts plus, plus. Yes. Mm-hmm. and there's a really unique problem once you start getting to those power levels. Um, the problem is the utility infrastructure behind it that's necessary to support that level of power. Mm-hmm. Most folks, when they roll into a, a site and see a charging station, they see this beautiful, maybe white Tesla charging station or, or, or another vendor's charging station you have to realize that there's a significant amount of infrastructure that needs to get deployed behind that. And sometimes it's behind a wall, sometimes it's behind a fence or a bush, um, and there's significant work that has to happen upstream all the way up to the substation side in order to bring that level of power to the site. And, and, and that's the part of the value chain that Freewire solves. Um, we don't believe in a future where the utilities are able to scale up their infrastructure and then sites are able to deploy enough local infrastructure to support all of the ultra fast charging that that we think we need. Mm -hmm. So we have developed a technology solution that pairs energy storage batteries, and the batteries are a structural part of our system. They are not a separate shipping container, they're not a separate box, they're actually embedded within the structure of our charger. And those batteries allow us to deploy ultra fast chargers on a low power infrastructure. Can this means that the type of infrastructure that already exists on these sites, if you're a convenience store or a gas station and you have low voltage 208 three phase or 240 volts single phase, for those of your, your audience that understand what that means. Yep. If you have that infrastructure, you're able to support ultra fast charging using our battery integrated technology. And, and that really means that we can deploy these chargers at a fraction of the cost both from a CapEx perspective and an OpEx perspective. So it's lower cost deploy day one and it's lower cost over time at a much, much faster rate. So we measure our deployments in hours, not in months, wow. Wow. And, and a much smaller footprint. Our footprint is nine square feet of space. A typical charging deployment <laughs> is about two to 300 square feet of space, yeah. given all of the utility and local infrastructure you need to support it. So it's a it's a really compelling solution and happy to dive in, in any of those dive deeper in any of those parts.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I really love the approach. I mean, the folks have, have talked, uh, heard me talk about some uh, some other organizations that are in similar space. Um and, and I, you know, obviously what you guys are doing on the ultra fast, I think is key because that is the future. You know, more and more vehicles now, the de facto standard's not 50 kilowatts anymore. It's you know, one hundred and one twenty five and 125 and plus. Um, because that experience, you know, as I, I, I do a lot of folks know that I do some public outreach. I'm part of a EV society here in Canada. So I do a lot of public speaking about the, about EVs, like an EV 101 and, you know, charging always comes up, Hey, I don't want to sit there for an hour and charge on a trip kind of thing. Well, You know, ultra fast is kind of really the new norm as as 50 was if only a short few years ago. You mentioned before I pressed the record button that you had one of the first gen Leafs. So you're well versed on rapid charging as far, you know, as fast as that'll pull right somewhere uh, and having to wait for that. So so being able to bring technology that really is going to service uh, the consumer base for the next generation, because that's where we're going. And I'll ask you this question. I'll tell you how I feel. Um, you know, I think, you know, a 500 kilometer, let's say three, 400 mile vehicle that chargers at, you know, 250 or so is probably a well enough use case, you know, taking away the platform itself for probably all the EV users out there. Do you think that that's probably a fair statement? That's a fair statement. I mean,
1: yes, I had one of the earliest generation Nissan leaks that had three kilowatt charging. So I suffered with the rest of my hats
0: off to you, by the way, for being a pioneer in that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was
1: nine years ago or so Um, have certainly evolved since then the, but yes, I think that a vehicle with three to 400 miles of range charging infrastructure that operates at 150 plus 250 could be that number. Um, is sufficient for, I'd say the vast majority of, of consumers out there. And we're seeing some interesting things happening in the market where um, now the automotive OEMs are starting to think, okay, well, I've packaged vehicles with in some cases, five and 600 miles of range. You see a couple yeah. of manufacturers quoting and stating 600 miles of range under certain conditions. I've packaged vehicles with that much range in order to fight off this range anxiety and, and create that consumer adoption. Uh, but do i really want to carry all of that weight in my vehicle do i want that additional cost right that makes my vehicle a premium vehicle so what we're starting the conversations that we see happening at the executive levels of the automotive organizations is let's let's reduce the battery size in these vehicles once charging infrastructure gets to a place where charging is ubiquitous mm-hmm. when ultra fast charging is in every corner store convenience store starbucks whole foods shopping mall everywhere you go can on a regular basis then let's reduce the size of the battery packs down to maybe it's only 250 miles of range because you have fast charging available everywhere and you can plug in on your daily commute anyways, we can lower the the, the, the cost to those consumers and they, they just don't carry all that additional weight on the car, which is not necessary. So really interesting dynamic happening there, but it all stems from needing to have ultra fast charging available, period. And what we're seeing from a market um, uh, uh, you know, assessment is that the vast majority of of dollars spent is going to go into that kind of 150 range kilowatts range. Um, that market side, that market segment will be ten times larger than the 350 kilowatt, mm-hmm. and ten times larger than the 50 kilowatt. And so, that, everyone seems to be coalescing on 150 because that gives that's the right amount of time for you to do something in the convenience store to to mm. shop a little bit at the Whole Foods to grab your cup of coffee and maybe check your phone at the Starbucks. Um, so we see things focusing there.
0: Yeah, you know, you bring up some great points. Um because you know part of the argument before, especially at three kilowatts is gee, I got to drive you know an hour and a half, then I got to charge another hour, then drive another hour and a half if I'm going on a road trip kind of kind of deal well that's that hour and a half has come down to you know it was 60 minutes and then everybody's talking about 40 45 minutes and now we're seeing OEMs come out with products that they're saying you know 8 you know, 20 to 80 in about 25 20 minutes to 30 minute range and you know a sweet spot experience is you know if you can get that down to like a gas station experience of you're pumping up in 5 or 10 minutes but people forget that you also do need to you know you may pump gas for five minutes but you're on a road trip you're usually there at that destination for a little bit more than just pumping gas you're taking Mm -hmm. a bio break you're grabbing a coffee or whatever as you mentioned some of the whatever the uh, the amenity is that you're at you will explore and do something with so that Mm -hmm. five minutes isn't isn't a reality it's more like 15, 20 25 minutes anyway I know old guys like me I can't go more than a couple of hours without having to find a washroom somewhere and stretch my legs and just you know and like you said check check phones and whatever just get some fresh air um so I, I think you're right some people overplay the need for oh I got to get 350 I got to be able to charge in five or ten minutes I think that that's uh, that's not the sweet spot I think the sweet spot is what what you've just said you know that one 100, 150 range on a on a vehicle that gets 250 to 300 miles, I think is more than adequate because that also brings the cost of the vehicles down. As you said, you don't have to lug all those batteries, all that weight, all that extra cost like you would... You know, in, in something that has 100 kilowatt hour pack or, or beyond, you know, the Hummers that are going to have, uh, I think, or Rivians up to 200 or something like that, you right. know, really large pack. So I get what, why they have it for some of the workloads that they'll be doing. But for the average consumer and to promote adoption, we need to get the pricing down and, and we can get infrastructure like what you guys have um, in, you know, a much more uh, prevalent fashion out there at all these convenience locations, then you're right. You go in, you're there for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It's a short stop to you, but you've got, you know, 50% of your, your, your electricity back, your charge back, or even more depending on the vehicle.
1: Right. And l- l- let me, let me give you some interesting statistics. And I think that will mm-hmm. be fascinating Please, for your yeah. audience. The, the reason that folks want that 350 kilowatt, that, you know, five minute charge is because they're used to the gas station experience. Yes. And what I think we have to realize as an, as an industry is that it's no longer going to be the gas station experience. You can now charge at a Starbucks. It's a place you want to be, Ken. It's a place yeah. you want to go to every morning. You can now charge at the Whole Foods. It's a place, again, you want to be. You can charge at the, at the amusement store, amusement park and a doctor's right. office and shopping malls, places you want to be, not places you don't want to be, which is a gas station. So to replicate the gas, so it actually takes about 90 seconds to fill up your car using gasoline from from zero to full, about 90 seconds is the average. To replicate that 90 second uh, fueling experience using charging, you need 2.4 megawatts of power. 2,400 kilowatts of power to your vehicle. Um, (laughs) There's there's no one in their right mind, certainly no one with an electrical engineering degree that thinks that that's possible. So we're never gonna replicate that 90 second fueling experience for charging infrastructure. What we will create is a model where charging is ubiquitous and it's in places where you want to be anyways. Mm -hmm. That's the future here. Um, The typical time spent in a gas station today is about eight minutes. Um, the typical time spent in a Starbucks is about 15. The typical time spent in a Whole Foods is about 35, 40 minutes, right? So it's it's just a changing dynamic of where you're going to experience fueling. And by fueling, I really mean charging in this in this new dynamic. And it's, it's not going to be the experience that you had before.
0: You know, that, that's a great point to gain because people don't realize, I mean, I can go do my groceries and have my vehicle refueled while I'm doing that. And that doesn't happen at a gas station today, yeah. you know, for the most part. I mean, some of them, I've seen some gas stations that are, you know, part of some multi-centers approach where they may have much more amenities there, but that's very few and far between from the corner gas that we're used to seeing, regardless of who that vendor is. Um, and you know, obviously a lot of the gas stations are get trying to get into that game by providing EV charging because they want to get capture some revenue if they're not getting you. Uh, you know, for gas, and they'll try to get you for for electricity. But I, I certainly think that that's going to help promote EV adoption. Is having that in combination with still home charging is your best friend, right? For the people that can home charge, um, that's the most convenient. That's typically the the least expensive for most areas. There are some areas that have ridiculous hydro rates, but I think for most of North America, it's not. It's much cheaper than than putting petrol into your your vehicle. Mm -hmm. um so you know that's still the worth the reliance on that so if i use myself as a use case you know i home charge every few days because i don't need to every day because you know of of the range that i have uh but even on on an entry-level vehicle so i just did a review i have i haven't finished editing of the bolt the, the new 2022 bolt ev and i'm really stoked about that vehicle it's not you know some crazy performance vehicle it's got the longest range it's got the biggest Uh, a cargo space. No, it's an average vehicle, but the price point, right? Now we're getting down to price points and and incentives that GM is providing to really start pushing EVs into more people's garages, right? And Mm -hmm. having the ability to home charge and still having the ability to decent fast charge. I mean, it's only coming at 60, a little bit more than than the last year model year was, but again, for, you know, for doing 400 kilometers of range, Uh, so that's three hours of driving for us on the highway roughly depending if you drive like a madman then it's less but um, you know you got to stop for 15 minutes anyway and in in 30 minutes you can get 50 60 percent of that back because it's not a huge battery so so uh, and then of course home charging will continue to go so in combination of that um, and then uh, what what I do want to I don't necessarily want to ask you you know how much your units are. You you do state that they are a fraction of the time and, and you mentioned the time. And obviously that goes with costing because I can tell folks that up here in Canada to for somebody to install a DC fast charger. Uh, and I'm not even sure that's an ultra fast, but I'll say ultra fast because and, and I'll use Petro Canada as an example. They're our national one of our national gas station chains. They've they've done a cross country um, a fast charging network, and they they get up to 200 to 250 mm-hmm. kilowatts, depending on on what they get. And you know, it's about a hundred thousand or so per per station there to do that. Mm-hmm. And as you mm-hmm. said, all the infrastructure that's around that, um, all the the extra costs that you have to do, that's a lot of money. So is a, can a Whole Foods drop a couple of those in? Probably not. Can a Starbucks look at dropping one of those in? no way they're not going to do it right at mm-hmm. that price point because it's, it's more involved. And then, you know, as you said, um, with, with your companies and your products ability to, to, to provide that really at a fraction of a cost, I think is a game changer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Where are you starting to see success? Uh, you've been doing this now for seven years. You've obviously got a pretty good customer base. Where are you seeing kind of your, 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 most, um, your kind of sweet spot originally for this?
1: Yeah, let's address the first part of your question, which is the costing. So you're about right. It's about $100,000 to deploy a fast charger. When I say fast, I mean about 50 kilowatts. Mm -hmm. About half of that is the cost of the charger itself. And about half of that is the cost of the infrastructure around it. Um, and that those are costs both borne by the site host. The site host, mm-hmm. the Starbucks, if you, you know, in this example, yeah. would have to bear that cost. Mm-hmm. Um, ultra fast charging is, is more expensive. An ultra fast charger is about two hundred,
0: two hundred thousand
1: yep. U.S. dollars.
0: <clears throat> Again, wow.
1: about half of that is the equipment, the the charger, and about half of that is the the infrastructure around it. Um, we our charging infrastructure is on average, about 20% lower cost on the CapEx side than any competing charger out there. Um, now, the charger itself is a little bit more expensive than a charger from someone like ABB or Tritium, which makes sense. We have that embedded battery system that's that's structurally integrated into the, into the, the unit. But the cost of all of the, infra- the, the infrastructure around it we don't require new transformers. We don't require a new switchgear. We don't require new panels. We don't require all the, the trenching, the utility interconnection processes, bringing new service to the site, the public works project to bring that new service. And that means our CapEx is lower, period, day one.
0: Yeah, our and that's, a, that's a big deal, right? Just, just what you just said there, all those things that you don't require to install and deploy what 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 you guys offer that's a big deal not only from a time element to get something in, in you know in the ground functioning but as you said all those different costs uh, you know i've seen it you know permitting and all this kind of stuff takes forever and then all these other auxiliary costs that they that the host or the provider needs to uh, needs to deal with so yeah mm-hmm. i think that's certainly key and continue sorry mm-hmm.
1: and, and it does take forever on the time piece of it, we counter deployments in hours and not months. So our fastest deployment to date has been two and a half hours. Our typical deployments are on the order. we can do two to three deployments a day. um, And, and compare that to the, the six to 18 month projects that we're seeing in the market because of the utility coordination, um, the interconnection processes. Working with providers of switch gear like Siemens and ABB and Schneider and transformers that you need to put in the ground. Yes. Um, if you eliminate that part of the process, which we do, it becomes much more quick. And so we measure our deployments again in hours, not in months. Uh, from a space perspective, we have a footprint of about nine square feet versus the two to three hundred square feet of a traditional charging install. Mm -hmm. And from uh, an operating cost perspective, this is where things get really dramatic. We lower operating costs on the charger about 70%. And the the operating costs are the cost of electricity, the cost of demand charges, which some of your uh, audience might be familiar with. Because we have that embedded battery system, we flatten the demand curve on the utility side and by flattening the demand curve means we lower those peaks and by lowering peaks you save a significant amount of money on your energy costs and to that point it is 70% savings in uh California we're seeing about a $35,000 per year savings in California in operating costs alone per charger and this is not a California only phenomenon we have, for example, one of our customers is a utility, mind you, uh, called American Electric Power. They're one of the bigger utilities in the US. Mm-hmm. They have a fleet of these systems deployed in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And in Tulsa, they're seeing a savings on those units of $29,000 per year in operating costs. $29,000 per, per unit per year. That's a huge, huge amount. It's a difference between a business model that works and a business model that doesn't. Absolutely. And um, Now that we talked about our customers a little bit, our our really biggest customer segment is retail today. And these are, again, convenience stores and and supermarkets and uh, shopping malls. But the biggest segment within that is oil and gas. So funny enough, uh, and let's just talk about the elephant in the room. BP is our biggest customer. Uh, They're also one of our biggest investors. Uh, BP, uh, we have announced recently a $50 million contract to deploy our charging stations with them in the UK market. We are acting on that contract right now. So we have units that are going to the UK every single day now. Um, and funny enough by about October, November, we're going to have more charging stations deployed in the UK than we do in the U S because of that significant, significant contract.
0: Um so it's a huge market there. I'm not surprised. Uh, market, if you've yeah. listened to me, you know that I'm pretty connected with a lot of the UK and I've been there a few times for different things. And uh, they are well ahead of where we need to get here in North America. And interestingly, that market
1: is one that approached this a little bit differently. Whereas in the yes. US, we 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 have a lot of carrots, meaning here's some some incentives, here's some yeah. dollars to deploy charging infrastructure. Yeah. In the UK, they use the stick. And and they're saying, okay, by 2030, no more combustion vehicles. I mean, just mm-hmm. a simple. If you wanna enter, if you wanna go into the center of London, you need to pay a congestion charge. And your congestion charge is, is much higher if you're a combustion vehicle than if you're an electric vehicle. I think about three right. times as high or four times as high. Mm-hmm. So they're using the stick approach. And frankly, it's it's just simply working. It's amazing um, how people are incentive, yeah, incentivized, that's right? right? That's right. They're a whack um, with
0: a stick and they won't do it again, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. It's a very
1: UK-centric philosophy. Yes, uh, that's true. I, I don't know if that'll happen in the US, <laughs> right? but it works. And, and that market is just incredible. Yeah. So wow. that's our largest customer segment is retail with oil and gas being a subset of that. And our second largest customer segment, funny enough, again, is the utilities. Utilities are buying our systems up in droves because um, they themselves can't deploy this infrastructure and what they see in our product, because we've integrated that battery they see a future in which they can control and shape the curve the consumption curve on their customer sites Mm, if interesting our battery remember our charger is in some ways just a trojan horse for the battery that's within it and we are providing everyday energy management services for our customer sites. We're doing demand charge management. We're doing time of use arbitrage. Mm-hmm. And we're layering in demand response very shortly. We're doing microgridding and resiliency. We're actually backing up these sites in times of power outages. Nice. And the utility sees this and they have yeah. a light bulb go on, pun intended. Yeah. And, this, yeah. and this, <laughs> light, this light bulb is I can now put a de- decentralized energy storage system on my customer sites in the guise of a charger. Mm -hmm. and I can now shape my demand curve, that's invaluable to a utility. And and that's really where technology provides a lot of long-term benefits as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, No, I get it. I see that. And uh, again, because that's part of the challenge with, you know, uh, it's all nice for President Biden and and others to come out and say, you know, we're going green. Here's all the incentives. I love it. You know, yesterday's announcement about, you know, uh, all EVs and and uh, handshaking GM and everything. I think it's great. But the reality is from a charging infrastructure that the grids too, I mean, look at Texas, right? What they went through, they had significant problems with the grid environment. And when you start plugging in a million to 5 million, 10 million EVs, all of a sudden that want to charge that can be quite a draw on a grid system and create a lot of problems. And, and the most, uh, I think you touched upon it earlier the weakest chain in the link is that last mile delivery is that local transformer, you know, that's there, that's usually older technology that isn't ready to have a bunch of EVs start, start looking to draw power from it. So being able to do what you're doing gives that not only the, the cost effectiveness for the utility companies, but that safety feature. Now they're saying, well, we don't really need to upgrade all this stuff that we've got out there. That's been there for 30 years. Weakens put that money towards better uses by deploying technology like yourselves. I think it's brilliant. You know, you really come at this marketplace from both the consumer side, convenience factor, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, the host provider giving all the benefits that you said, but then over, you know, you gotta, you gotta take that up, uh, go up level with it to look at the grid providers and the energy providers and everything as well and see how all that plays together. I think it's a brilliant approach. Thank you. You really yeah, do. Thank and man. it's very simple when you think about it. And I love your your structural approach to batteries. I, I think Tesla copied you then. <laughs> in there, and what they want to do is put batteries in in the in the structure as well. well part uh, of you, you got to give them credit; they're they're, yeah. they're market leaders <laughs> and innovators. And yeah. and and having
1: it structurally as part of a vehicle that moves is a little bit different than having it structurally as part of a system that stays stationary and, and sits yeah. in the ground. So I I, yeah. I tip my hat to them. And you're right. I mean, the, the approach that we have is is focusing on the value chain as a whole, understanding that there's a lot of interconnected pieces there. And on the consumer front, just to connect to some of the audience members here, because of the lower operating costs of our system, our site hosts that are installing our system are charging less per kilowatt hour than any other site host in their area. So for example, if you look at the San Francisco Bay area, you'll typically see 55, 60 cents a kilowatt hour on these ultra fast charging stations. Really, okay. um, with, with, But with our station, for example, BP has a number of these units deployed uh, across gas stations in California, yep. and they're charging 35 cents a kilowatt hour. Wow. And, and they're charging that lower cost because our operating costs are significantly lower. So they, they can still make a margin uh, yep. on, on that. And so, and, and then of course, as adoption goes up, and you see more and more throughput in these stations you're also going to see lower cost that way because you can amortize the the, the capex expenditures so uh, one question i just really quickly wanted to answer for the audience and i'm sure you have is okay battery integrated seems like the future technology what's the throughput of these systems how many cars can charge you a day yeah so um the, we've designed the throughput of the system for up to 20 vehicles a day um, okay. with no depletion of charging speeds so you as the consumer will not notice that it is a battery integrated charger versus any other charger out there. And you shouldn't notice except right. a lower cost, right? Um, so we've designed it for a throughput of 20 vehicles a day. Um, we have seen in, in one customer example, this was a fleet. They did a 24 vehicles a day. That was very well optimized, uh, but typically up to 20 is what we tell our customers um, now the utilization rates that we're seeing in the field just simply aren't that high and I think you understand that Ken. Yep. I think in public we're seeing you know four cars, six cars a day is really um yep. uh, you know kind of a peak in fleet applications we're seeing 12 14 cars is really um, a well utilized charging station. Mm-hmm. Um and we've over spec our system as such that up to 20, because again, we're not only providing charging services to our customers, we're providing energy management services, resiliency services. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to over-spec the battery inside to be able to do that. Um that so I hope that makes sense.
0: It does. And do you have uh any sense of offering potentially um uh you know this uh, connected to the grid somehow to be able to so let's say you know power. You, I think you mentioned earlier that you know in a blackout that you can actually continue to still draw power from these because they have their own you know their own their own site power their own yeah. stored power. Any applications? Um, you know, uh, I was going to say like like vehicle to grid, but an opposite sense where maybe uh, there's there's other plays here. You know, plugged into a hospital to provide backup power or this kind of thing. I don't know. You know.
1: Yeah. So a vehicle to grid is a very interesting technology. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in it for fast charging applications. Mm-hmm. Because if you're there to fast charge your vehicle, you're there to fast charge your vehicle. You're not there to wait for someone to play with the battery capacity, right? Yeah. So it doesn't match the consumer demand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where where we what we do is something called charger to grid, right?
0: Yeah.
1: That because we have that embedded storage, we don't need yeah. to play with your battery, we play with our own battery. So all of our systems are built um, with the hardware to do C to G, charger to grid, backfeeding into the grid, we don't do that today. Um, just frankly speaking, we have not developed the software capabilities of our AMP platform to that point yet. Um, our AMP platform today does demand charge management, time of use arbitrage. Shortly, we'll be launching demand response, and in the near future, we're going to be layering in that that uh, C to G or backfeeding capabilities through that software. Yeah. But the hardware is enabled for it, and we'll continue to upgrade the the software to then unlock those capabilities and really add an additional layer of energy savings and revenue generation opportunities for those
0: customers nice nice um and what again is your maximum charge rate uh, that you can uh, push out today we
1: um, our systems are 150 kilowatts
0: 150 okay great making some notes too for the future because we'll we'll have to circle back at some point and see how you guys do i always like to do that as uh for the guests that i speak to is go back in six months or a year and see how things change how's the market change have you guys changed what have you seen um because it's all it's all so positive um, a couple other quick questions before we run out of time here. Um, do you see these, these applications potentially for beyond uh, light-duty vehicle applications? Do you think maybe transit or something like this? Is that something of your of play for you guys? You know, it could be. We're
1: developing solutions for medium-duty uh, applications currently. Heavy-duty is a tough one. Uh, so medium-duty does certainly works. So we have um, middle-mile fleets. Um, that are medium duty vehicles small box trucks that um, we're working on solutions for them right now Um, heavy duty the problem with heavy duty vehicles the batteries are so large yes if you look at a bus it can be four to six hundred kilowatt hours of battery yes and so if you have a battery buffered solution like ours might not be a great fit because you're going to drain our battery pretty quickly yeah um, so so I'll, I'll just be perfectly honest. I I don't think we're a great fit for heavy duty. I do think that they need some more traditional charging infrastructure. Yep. For light duty and medium duty, we are just a spectacular fit from and, and it's lower cost, faster yep. to deploy, and all the other benefits we talked about.
0: Yeah, no, it, it makes total sense to me. And and certainly if if transit systems are looking to get into it, then they have infrastructure that that they can play with and deal with and you know, huge uh uh, yards, you know, of uh, buses and the stations and things like that, that they can deal with. So it's a little bit different environment. And last question, then, do you see this potentially for con- condo use? Because that's, that's the big, you know, other, we talked about home charging, I still believe that the biggest market that I can continue to talk to today is are people that have the ability to home charge, whether it's a 120 outside, or you can put a level two, and that's a huge market. That's millions and millions and millions of people that have a home of some, some sort that have external, uh, you know, capabilities. But for the millions and millions that live in, live in urban, you know, urban centers that are packed, that are in apartment buildings and condos and things kind of thing, that's a different story. And that, that's a big problem that we're starting to hear is, well, you know, I want to get an EV, but my condo board doesn't want to spend the money and blah, blah, blah. Have you, do you see a market for this yet? Or is the price point just a little bit too rich for condos?
1: Yeah, it's not. The technology is perfectly fit for condo. Yes, you know, I see that. Is, you can see that. The problem has been, um, and why a lot of folks have not tapped into the multi dwelling, the, the MUD market, as we mm-hmm. call it. Okay. It's, it's the HOAs, it's the condo boards. Because who's, who's responsible for paying for this charging infrastructure? Is it the individual homeowner who has an electric vehicle? Is it amortized across all homeowners? Is it the condo boards? in HOA, who's been responsible for the electricity fees because those those electrical circuits are not sub-metered specifically for that homeowner. How do you actually build them for it? So it is the complexity around the business model Mm -hmm. and the ownership structure, not the technology that's blocking entrance into these multi-unit dwellings. So we've been working through this just like a lot of other companies have, and and it has not been easy because Mm -hmm. of the, frankly, bureaucracy um that exists and and it, you know frankly it feels like yeah. for all these boards and hoas the easiest thing is to do nothing yes and yeah. and and so um yeah you can sense some of my frustration yeah. uh, because i do think we need to penetrate not just freewire but any company needs yeah. to penetrate that market because i think it's better for consumers and then and, and we just as an industry have not been able to do a good job there and it's and it's um uh, and, and we need to do better. Uh, so Absolutely. the technology is perfectly viable. It is lower cost than, than anything out there, and it can work for MUDs. We need to get past some of these boards and HOAs and help them understand that, that, that this really is the future and that this can be a revenue-generating opportunity for them Yes, and that they need to spend a little bit of CapEx today to, to generate uh, you know, some revenue over time, and, and let's get them
0: in that frame of
1: mind. So we're, we're going to keep pushing at it.
0: And that's exactly where I see it as you're absolutely right. And and I won't, we won't talk about this forever, but you know, I, I did manage a condo corp where I used to live my previous yeah. home uh, of, of about 50 uh, townhomes. And I was president for 10 years managing that. So it wasn't certainly like an apartment building uh, exercise, which is a lot more things to involve with, but there was enough, you know, and um, you know, having to deal with, Why should I? Why should my fees pay for a charger that I'm never going to use? Because Joe next door bought an EV. That doesn't make sense. But you know, if you're absolutely right, if HOVs look at this as a revenue generator instead, and have the capex to outlay or fund it, you know, fund it over some some lucratively attractive financing vehicle to install this, and then you know, you put this in a central location where somebody's going to go. They're only going to go there for you know, 20 minutes to 45 minutes. That's typically the use case today as we see it, or and even less in the future. Uh, they're not going to park there all the time. It's not going to be their parking spot. So, and they charge for that. And over time, they start making the revenue back uh, from that investment. And, and that helps promote vehicles, gives them an opportunity to purchase an EV that they can take to a condo. I have a friend in, in the West Coast Canada just bought a Model 3, lives in a condo. And it's saying, you know, every three days, I got to find some place to go charge. I got to pay for it. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice to have something here, but they don't want to do it. So again, you know, to help promote EV adoption. Yeah. Uh, we- so something, something you and I will have to continue to to lobby for, I think.
1: Yeah, um, we're, we're, we're working with a large property owner in the UK right now, and we're planning out a deployment, it's going to be a community fast charger deployment, basically. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's not a multi-unit dwelling, not a high rise, but it's a, right. a huge group of homes, thousands mm-hmm. of homes, actually, yeah. community fast charging. What, what they're starting to realize, and the thing that, that really clicked in my head is the property prices are, are, the property values go up when you have community yeah. fast charging. For sure. In, in a high rise, your rents can go up if you have charging available in your high rise. Mm-hmm. So think of it that way. That's your yeah. immediate kind of "quote unquote" revenue generating opportunity, yeah. and then there is the the fees from charging that you can then pass along to your constituents. So yeah. um, that that's been really surprising to see and, and encouraging.
0: Well, you know, I'd love to see more of your technology, and I'm sure that there's also public deployment, public sector deployments, you know, municipalities, county regions, all this kind of stuff, where it can make sense, especially for areas that are more that are not urban uh, areas. Um, where, you know, power is going to be a little bit more hard to get in in a nice capacity. Um, Again, to deploy these out there, you don't have to dig a ton of trenches and all this other stuff that you mentioned that you have to do that takes up to 18 months to two years. I think, you know, it's a a brilliant idea. Um, You're doing cold weather testing, as we joked about at the beginning, before Mm -hmm. we press the record button. You've got some of these up in Alaska. Right. Again, like any batteries, there are going to be some sort of susceptibility to cold, but I'm sure you've got some thermal management involved going to keep these things at proper operating temps.
1: Easier in cold than it is in heat. True. And the, True. Uh, yeah, we have systems deployed outside of Phoenix right now mm-hmm. and systems deployed in, or we're, we're we're currently installing right now, I think actually in, in Alaska. Yeah. And um, obviously, we've done our own internal cold and hot weather testing. This is the real life cold and hot weather testing. So uh, we've seen it perform actually pretty well in cold weather conditions. Um, Hot weather is always the challenge for batteries, and we have a really robust thermal management system to to deal with that. Uh, But because of this real life cold weather testing, you, you should expect to see these in Canada pretty shortly.
0: Well, I listen, I'd love to, and you know we should stay connected because I, I think you know I when I'm out there talking to people, I do speak to municipalities as well, and you know work work with my town on their climate action plan from a, you know what I what I offer from a transportation perspective. Um, I think this is a great solution that could really satisfy a lot of use cases for those regions that are looking to do something um to make some investments at and and that this would be a much more better bang for the buck than you know putting in 20 level twos or something like that. You know, I'm just I'm just taking a throwing that out there. Uh nice to see some level twos, but typically, you know, even you go to a rec center, you go for a fitness workout or a swim or whatever, you're only there an hour. So you're not going to pull much from a level two. You got one of your things there. I'm going to pretty well go up to 80, 85% while I'm working out. So it's a huge difference, right? in in the That's use right. case and uh, i like that um any closing thoughts that you want to add something that we i may not have forgot to ask
1: listen you know i am a real believer in this industry in this market i think mm-hmm. the pace of, and rate of change as we talked about is going to be faster than than most of the projections out there i think the biden infrastructure plan that was really cemented yesterday around electric vehicles it's yes. calling for 50 percent new vehicle sales will be electric by 2030. Um, I think the industry is simply gonna move faster than that. Consumer sentiment has shifted. Electric vehicles are better to drive, they're cheaper to drive, they're fun, Um, they're quiet. You know, I'm a believer, I've been doing this for almost 10 years now and so are you at this point, Ken. And and as you pointed out listen, they're not for everybody. There's still gonna be applications where combustion vehicles make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the pace of change is gonna be faster than we all expect and um the horse before the cart is charging infrastructure so Mm -hmm. you know i'm advocating we have a regulatory and policy team that is lobbying for um incentives towards charging infrastructure Mm -hmm. i think the incentives towards electric vehicles um, they're great but you know they're already on price parity with with combustion vehicles in many cases and especially when you look at the total cost of ownership they're lower cost charging infrastructure is still a very high cost proposition and as you pointed out, the Starbucks may not have the CapEx to, to deploy it. So we need uh, policymakers, regulators to, to, to start giving them the incentives to deploy charging infrastructure, which is gonna make, uh, which is really gonna spur on growth in electric vehicles even faster. That's, that's my closing point.
0: Well, you know, I agree with you. I love your enthusiasm and hope. I mean, I, I have the same, I'm a little bit more conservative in my viewpoints as far as the rate of the change goes. Um, but I, I, I'm hoping that it's as fast as you, you say it's going to be. And uh, obviously, in some parts of the world, it is happening faster. You know, Sweden's already passed that. Norway and some of the other countries. China is going gangbusters. They'll continue to grow. So it's definitely happening. Um, CEO Arkady Sozanov from FreeWire, based in San Francisco in the Bay Area, beautiful area, by the way. I haven't been that been there for years. So I have to, have to get back to the West Coast. I used to live in LA for a few years. So it was a pleasure to be down there. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk about a, a fantastic uh, solution that you guys put together. I wish you the best of luck. Let's keep in touch and uh, let's circle back, you know, in several months, maybe at the beginning of uh, next year and see how some of your predictions <laughs> of the marketplace uh, have come, have come. Uh, the past. We'll see where we are at that point as far as how, how the speed's going, but I, I'm an optimist too, for sure. Would love um, to be a repeat guest. Yeah. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> Thank you very much, and uh, take care, and all the best. You too. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments. Email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at evrevshow. I'm also on Instagram evrevolutionshow and If you uh, have any suggestions for shows, please let me know. Thanks again for listening, and please, everybody stay safe. And until the next time, I'll see you when I see you.